Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. So um, again, they're anonymous. So I'll say, hi, Allison. I have a Q&A for your podcast. I find those episodes very helpful and supportive to hear the Adlerian theory applied by you. My 10-year-old son struggles with change. We had an old piano that didn't sound good and then had the opportunity to get my parents' piano, which was much better and newer since they wanted to give it to us. When we got the new piano, my son yelled, a lot and begged for the old piano back. He said the old one was better and proceeded to leave the house very upset on a walk. My husband followed him calmly at a safe distance and he went for about a mile walking. My husband and I noticed that he didn't play the old piano and he fussed when it was played. Side note, he liked to read a lot, which is great, but he doesn't like the piano playing when he reads, which is right next to the couch where he reads. I suggested my son and husband go on an errand out of the house weekly so we could accommodate the piano playing. My son was not interested in that idea and we didn't try it. He was also upset like this when we got rid of an upholstered ottoman. It was ripped up and falling apart. My husband tried to fix it, but it didn't repair well. Do you have any other tips to help a child adjust to change in the environment? So thank you very much. Again, I'll keep your name anonymous and I really appreciate the question and all the details. The more we get the details, the more we get the flavor of what is going on here. And so what I hear in, in the bottom line of your question is, do you have any tips to help a child adjust to change in, in the environment? And so I find that interesting because yes, I can see that that is part of what's going on here, but I see a much bigger meta story about the family dynamics that might help explain this um, in, a, in a different way that would help you understand. And that's always, and this is why I so love Adlerian psychology is, you know, we really try to 
stay away from putting band-aids on symptoms and we try to get to the root cause and make the change at that sort of sea level sea level change in the family and as i'm reading this and you know you're in any one person's family and i guess it's the power of the podcast and the q and a's where when it's your family and it's your dynamics you're so in it that you can't see the forest for the trees and it's when you hear other people's stories that you say, oh, I know what I would do. Oh, I know what's going on there. And then we feel all great, like, oh, you know, I, I, I guess I understand this theory. I'm starting to really be able to get the patterns, you know, and see the system in play. And it becomes really gratifying. It really is very much like a Sherlock Holmes. And it's, I guess it is part of why I like working in this capacity. It does force me to be creative and to problem solve and to understand and to always seek understanding and ask myself what would have to be true for this to make sense. And so I'm always on a journey of discovery. And so um, let me bring you on the journey of discovery with the short amount of information. You've only given me a few paragraphs. And so I'll first and foremost honor, I could be absolutely wrong. And, and I say that just to give a caveat for any advice that I give on this podcast, which is when I'm w working with a family in counseling, you know, we're digging around and asking a lot of questions and getting a lot of background information. And I would never want to think that I could surmise a person or a whole family on one little small little snippet of information because it would be sort of disrespectful to the complexity of human beings. So I just want to honor that. And I don't think I say that enough in the podcast. And because it's not and or it's and <laughs> that is true. And like a holograph. When I ask people in my counseling sessions to bring me information, like tell me when this happens, tell me the last time, give me the details. When I, when I try to dig down and get a snippet of information from them, if I get enough details, it's a little bit like a holograph where a little bit of information that can contain some nuances and some specificities, it gives me and it translates into the bigger picture, the bigger scene. And I'm sort of trained in looking for patterns. I'm kind of a pattern recognition expert, if you, if you were, and I, I recognize human interaction patterns. And as I'm reading this, and sorry to be delayed in giving, giving you the answer, but I just wanted to give you the kind of backdrop of, of that, which is to say, as I read this, you're hearing it as a son who doesn't want to adjust to changes in the environment. And that may very well be true. But I think at a higher level, at a more meta level, what I'm also seeing is that this is a child who says, I don't like this new piano. I want the old piano. I don't like you playing in this room. I don't care about piano. I have an opinion about piano, but you can't play it when I'm going to play it. And so please go away and please accommodate me. And what, what I'm sort of seeing as an overlay is that very loving, caring parents are really concerned about the opinions and the emotionality of their child which again is like a lovely part of parenting we we all should be doing those things but where i see a problem arising is that children when they're born when we look at the roles and responsibility of parenting and how we have to help develop the child part of our role as a parent is to move them from their innate 
natural state at birth, which is a hugely dependent person who is very concerned with survival. So everything is me, my, me, my, look after me, my, you know, how do I know I'm okay? How, who's going to feed me, 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 me. I got to survive. I got to survive. And slowly socializing them to say, you know, working through the levels of hierarchies of, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I don't know if people know that Maslow studied under Adler. So this idea that that our job in parenting from a developmental point of view is to grow the child's social interest, to move the interest off of survival of the person, the I, me, me, survival, 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 towards supporting the group because we're social creatures. And as social creatures, we realize that so long as the group is is healthy, then I'm cared for and, and I'm okay. So it's in my best interest to care for the group. So it's that flipping from me to we. And children are born with social interests or they're born naturally to be social creatures, but it's a parent's job to facilitate and to spur the growth in, de- in the development in, in caring for others and realizing that when you live in a group, if you want to survive in a group, you have to be a team player. So you always have a say you're important. We're not trying to minimize. We're not trying to minimize anybody, but it's sort of like you're respected. We'll take you into consideration. You always have a say, but you don't always get your way. And so you can imagine if we just, um, always were worried and this is where i think a lot of parents today maybe have a uh there's a generational difference which is we seem to be as a society very phobic about um children's strong emotions and so when they're very tearful when they're very anxious when they're very fearful when they show big emotions parents either get triggered themselves or they um feel that it's that it's that big emotions are dangerous and so they better do something about them and then they get overwhelmed themselves about what they're supposed to do and they just kind of want to make their kid feel better make their kid feel better kids shouldn't have negative emotions kids shouldn't be upset it's my job to to get them calmed well yes indeed we are supposed to co-regulate our children i i absolutely uh, honor that and there's many skills that we've talked about in the podcast about that but we also have to realize that if a child's emotionality is sufficient enough to change the social order of the family so that every time you cry, you get what you want. Like, oh, they're crying. Um, you know, I, I guess they can have more iPad time. Oh, they're crying. I guess it's not time for them to go to bed. Oh, they're crying. I, I you know, I guess I guess they don't want a healthy breakfast. They'd, they'd rather have, you know, more um, more junk food. If every time they show emotionality, like, uh, you know, I'm angry, you know, you can't do that to me. You're like, okay, fine, fine, fine. You know, you can have your friend over for the sleepover. If every time there's a strong emotion, parents just back down and let kids have their way. We're, we're really letting emotions become in a manipulatory factor. And we're missing what our parenting role is, which is we are supposed to be socializing our children to be successful humans in a collective culture because having friends being able to work with your fellow man on tasks whether that's group work in a classroom setting whether that's being on a team at work whether that's being in a family member because someday they might be a parent and they'll have children if you don't learn to get along with others if you don't learn to cooperate with your fellow man you will be isolated you will have mental health issues you will have um you'll compensate through that with either anxiety depression addiction whatever it might be 
the biggest gift you can give your kids is to help them feel embedded in the group and embedded in the family. And the way we do that is by having the parents pay attention to what their role is, which is we control the social order, right? And make that predictable and stable and loving and reasonable. We get up in the morning, we come for breakfast, we go do this, you go off to school, you come home and, you know, whatever. It should be not chaotic, predictable. And then children are tasked with moving in line with the social order. So if 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 everybody is expected to like eat with cutlery and you're 12 years old and you're still eating with your hands and nobody has trained you and done child guidance around that, you're going to go off to a birthday party and eat with your hands and your friends are all going to think that you're some kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> it's, it's not going to play well socially. So you're not doing your kids any favors by not socializing them just because they have strong emotions. So I think in this particular case, as I'm hearing this, it sounds like your efforts to be loving, kind and caring and to take his opinions and his consideration into place are beautiful. But it seems to me that the power structure has flipped. And it seems to me that he seems to have more the upper hand that he is demanding what he would want and he's expecting the parents to conform to what he would like rather than holding a baseline of common sense and, and social propriety and getting him to move more in line with, with common sense and make some, some accommodations. And so you can still say, you know, I am so, so sorry. You know, we love the Ottoman. We tried to hold it as long as, as possible. I know it's special and dear to you. Uh, you like tradition. You like comfortability. You like things that rem remind you of the past. It's hard to move on and change. And that's true. Some people are very sentimental and you seem to be a sentimental person who really likes those memories. And that's a beautiful thing about you. Um, but now it's falling apart and we need to move on. So, you know, would you like to have it up in your room and we'll get a new one for the living room? Um, would you like to help me take it to the dump and we'll have a little ceremony and say goodbye? <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, you get on with what makes sense. You know, you, you, you have to move on with what makes sense and be the adult. I mean, if you had a an animal and your kids, of course, love their pets, but if you had an animal that was dying of cancer and your kids like, you can't put her down, you can't put her down, and the animal is suffering and suffering and suffering, at some point you have to say, this is the reality of life. I know it hurts to say goodbye, but we need to put the cat down because that's the right moral thing to do. And I trust you to be able to handle change and that you will grieve and you will get over it like everybody else because you are a fully competent person who can handle big emotions and handle that life has ups and downs, hellos and goodbyes, new beginnings and old endings. And you are just as robust as every other person. And when we don't send that message, we're kind of saying, I don't believe you can manage it. I better, you know, change the whole orientation of life because you're weak and fragile and you can't handle it. And it's actually, if you think about it through that lens, you're sending a message to the child that you don't have faith in them. And that's a discouraging message. It's much, it's much better to say the reality and the nature of life is this. And I trust you to be a warrior of life and go on that journey. And I'm here with you as you handle the trial, the true trials and tribulations of life. So it's okay. 
you sh- we have a piano. You didn't like the new one. You really miss the old one. Um, but we live in a house in it with a piano and people have the right to play and you have the right to read. And so what could how could we work together to solve that problem? Um, you know, could it be that if somebody's playing the piano, which isn't very movable because it weighs a thousand pounds, that when it's piano time, you could move your book and you could go somewhere else to read. And I have no trouble with the idea that, uh, you, you know, you solve the problem. But if solving the problem is that this child is restricting your playing to like an hour and the only hour that you get is when somebody else is giving him one on one time, it still feels like his needs are taking precedent over the piano player's needs. If I'm if I'm reading this through my lens, right, I would feel belittled by that. I would feel like, you know, we all have the right to share a common space and how can we share it appropriately? And I wouldn't uh, kowtow and give special service to somebody who can't solve that problem at their age on their own. He's 10. He can go to his room or he can go play in the backyard. He can put earplugs in. He can decide not to let it bother him. He's got a million different things that he can do, but he is really involving people with what he wants, what he needs, what he likes, what he doesn't like. And he's keeping a lot of people kind of in their service and he's ruling the roost more than I think is is uh, is is appropriate. And again, it comes as parents. I just, again, I don't want to feel like I'm being critical. I'm just trying to like open up and describe what the dynamics are. The reason why it's important to to get this described and, uh, and understood, and I, I hope that is what's happening for you, is because people will say like, well, I kind of like it the way it is. I don't mind taking them for the walk. And I don't mind like, you know, often caring and giving parents like enjoy their role in all of that. They don't really see the downside of it. But unfortunately, what happens is you got to think down the road, another five years, seven years or whatever, where they are really not prepared for life is is one of the problems. And so when they actually have to get into adulthood, they are they are ill prepared and things start to backfire. If you always believe that you could get your way and then you don't because you're now working with adults and and uh, friends and girlfriends and wives as opposed to your parents who would bend over, um, you're ill prepared to actually do the give and take of social living. So that's part of that preparation where they end up getting a an attitude of entitlement. And again, it's 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 not spoiling entitlement. These words carry such weight, this gravitas with us, but it's more like thinking about it as this. When kids come into the world, the way that they understand how the world works and the implicit rules that we teach them are all from what we show them socially. You know, he's come from a pretty privileged situation here where he really does think that things will bend in his direction. And so I just don't want him to have the shock later when he realizes you got to bend both ways is what I'm saying. I I hope that makes sense. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So that was a big answer, but I only had the one question. So I wanted to also spend just a moment on the podcast here to, to take up a little bit more time with some Adlerian psychology, because when I'm also reading these questions or dealing with people in my family practice, um, helping you to understand, like, how does a therapist think? How does an Adlerian therapist think when, when you're hearing the information from the families, what is the process by which this information sorts through my brain? And so one of the things that I want to bring to the surface is that what I'm looking for is I'm listening to clients and their families and their family dynamics is I'm looking also to people that are over-functioning and under-functioning, over-functioning and under-functioning. And a lot of times that comes from our history and our, and our private logic from our childhood and how we organize the world in our early years. So when I start to ask parents that are over-functioning. And again, I, I know nothing about the family that I just told you about, except for what you just heard. But what I saw in that is that the parents are, I would say, over-functioning. They're over-functioning. And therefore, it invites under-functioning from the child. So what would be part of over-functioning? Well, over-functioning could have been that when they were growing up, their parents never listened to them never took their consideration, uh, their their mind and their opinion. And they remember fe- maybe feeling, and again, I'm, I'm hypothesizing here, I do not know this family. But one of the ideas here is that when we came from lack in our family, then we make a pact to ourselves that by God, when I'm a mother, when I'm raising a family, I'm going to make sure that this error and mistake doesn't happen for my children. Um, and Frank Walton, who's a wonderful Adlerian mentor of mine, has something called the most memorable observation. And, and it is a, um, you know, a short questionnaire to help draw out this idea, right? For all that was good in your family when you were in the sort of middle years of your life, grade six, seven, eight, what was the one thing that you found very distasteful? And so most of us do make a pledge to ourselves that say, by God, when I become a parent, this is the thing that's never going to befall my my children. I hated it. And so I'm wondering if this family with overfunctioning parents had a situation where they're making a compensatory behavior of overdoing because their parents underserved them in some way in their childhood, wasn't there for them, didn't listen, didn't care, didn't attend to their emotions. Um, and they're making up for it. And in the way that they're making up for it, they're doing it so well that it's just needs to be reined in a little bit um, because now we make the mistake in the, on the, on the uh, other end, um, uh, you know, of the, of the spectrum. And it can go the other way too. You know, if you've, 
you know, we can be under functioning and say, look at like, you know, my parents were terrible parents and they were never there for me. And I don't know how to be a good parent. I, I can't even over function. I've never had it modeled. Um, I, I, I never saw what it felt like to have my emotions looked after. And if it wasn't modeled to me and I didn't experience it, I don't have the capacities or skills to do that with my children. I don't know what closeness looks like. I don't know what discipline looks like. And so we can underfunction because there's an intergenerational underfunctioning where there's just a lack of skill set, just lacking that that you can't pass on. And again, the beautiful thing about Adlerian psychology is they say we're never fated. It's great to understand this, but it doesn't mean you're fated to be a you know a parent or a child of anyone which way at, at all. Everything can always be different. You can change your narrative. You can change your belief systems. You can change your behaviors. It is a highly optimistic belief in human beings. And I personally, myself, enjoy reading stories of people that have every right to, you know, be the villains and the victims of life, you know, Nelson Mandela being wrongly jailed or the stoic philosophers, you know, Epictetus being you know jailed for years and just terrible things that happened to people. And then seeing how they use their mental grit to um, keep themselves oriented in the face of, of bad times and to not let situation overcome what we can do with our mind. And so that idea that we are the creators of our experience, that it's subjective, that we are the painter and the creator of our life. And it doesn't matter what the outside experience is. Sure, it shaped us originally, but we can, using our, our conscious mind, make a different decision. And that is open and possible to every, every human being. Um, so there you go. There's your Adlerian psychology. <laughs> hopefully helpful, hopefully motivating. Um, and please do send more questions. I love the Q&As. I love the, the meat and the material. And I think it really helps other people see. And I appreciate you for being vulnerable. And I hope the help is, is taken gently and kindly and in the way that I, I mean to deliver it. And um, anyways, I really appreciate this, this pod of people and send your likes, send your recommendations, forward it to a friend, stay on the journey. Love you all. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.